Good morning, church. It's good to be with you today uh, to continue a, a two-part series on uh, generosity, stewardship, and our money that God has placed into our hands. You know, we've been given a great blessing as people that God has provided this gift to. He provides our every need. Uh, sometimes our wants may be greater than the timing that He provides, but my trust is, my experience is that God has provided in my life. And I'm grateful for that. I want to show a, a, a life of gratitude as a result of what he's done to provide. Uh, last week, we talked out of a, a, a passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 24. And I want to just remind you of, of these words as we begin our time this morning. And I want to let you know, we're going to get through a lot of scripture today. And so uh, it may be hard to turn and get there. I would encourage you to have your Bibles open and be ready to go. But make sure and write down some of these passages and, and, and go back and look at them a, a little bit more later this week. I want to begin, as I said, in Deuteronomy 24, beginning in verse 19. These are the words that God gave to Moses, the great prophet, who he spoke over Israel before they entered the promised land. Deuteronomy 24, verse 19. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow, so the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that is why I command you to do this. We talked last week about the importance of creating margin in our lives, margin that we're able to be generous with, to give to those uh, who have less than we do, is a reminder that we were once people who were in bondage. Just as Israel was in bondage, it was a spiritual bondage for all of us. And what God has given as provision for us, the overflow is provided to us to be able to offer to others in their need. This week I want to continue this conversation. Part of the reason this whole conversation is so important is because Jesus talked a lot about money. He spoke more about money than any other topic when it comes down to it. More than heaven, more than hell, more than the church. He talked about money. 16 of Jesus' 38 parables have something to do with money and possessions. In fact, in the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses has to do with this topic. 288 in all. You know, The Bible talks about all kinds of things. In fact, one of the main things you might think it talks about is prayer. There's 500 verses or so on prayer in the Bible. Fewer than 500 about faith, but there are more than 2,000 verses in Scripture about how we handle the blessings that God has poured into our hands. So I want to continue this conversation, but I've got to be honest with you for a moment. I, this is a tough conversation for a preacher to have uh, for several reasons. And I, I want to just kind of tr trust you with the vulnerability of kind of sharing where I am because I want to share some passages this morning that I... I struggle to know what to do with, but they're there. They're part of what Scripture says. And so I want to lay these out, but part of the reasons this is hard is because I know there have been financial abuses in churches over the years. And those stories go public, and stories in the 1980s and 90s, especially of TV preachers and otherwise, but you, we hear these stories continue to come out, and there's part of me that struggles to talk, not because there's any concern here about how that goes on. I'm grateful for those who serve in so many roles to faithfully administer the funds you've given, but it's just, it, it, there's something connected with money and financial abuse in churches that causes a little bit of a tug 
uh, on us in these conversations. Another is it seems self-serving in some way, doesn't it? Because uh, our livelihood comes from what you give. So as a preacher, it's a little awkward to put the Scripture into your hands and to preach because uh, we all know how that all works. And that even from the beginning when the Levites were, were given the, the tithe, it was, it was to take care of them. And there's always been a bit of strangeness about talking about that. The other reason is we don't, I don't want to run people off. And so any difficult subject that deals with difficult things in our lives, it, it can be taken the wrong way. And so this morning, as I vulnerably kind of share just how this is a struggle for me to talk about, I, I, I want to pray that you'll offer grace as I seek to share Scripture. Because my belief is that you don't want me to hold back. You really do want me to share the challenge that Scripture gives. And in the midst of that challenge, I'm going to trust God to speak a word into each of your lives with comfort where it's needed, with challenge where it's needed. Uh, there are many of you that are exhibiting great generosity, far more than I am aware of in my own life, that I hope to grow toward. Thank you for that. Thank you for your example. And, and there are others of us that are going through challenging times right now, and this is difficult because you're, you're wondering how that might work in the midst of job difficulties that you're walking through. I, I know this is one of those subjects that's difficult. I want to walk with ease into it, but I want to walk with boldness to trust that God has a word for each of us in the season. Let's pray as we open uh, the Word of God this morning. God, I, I pray this morning that uh, that your word would come through today, God. It wouldn't be me and my motivations, or it wouldn't be from a place of bad motivation for any of us, God. It would be from a heart that longs to not have uh, greed be a part of our lives, a heart that longs to be generous, to, to give with joy, uh, because it is a great joy to give, God. It's better to give than it is to receive. So God, we've received your gifts and we're grateful for them. We want to show that gratitude. And part of the way we show that gratitude is to pour those blessings into the lives of others. Give us opportunities. Help us have eyes to see. And I thank you for the ways this church is generous in so many ways and puts this characteristic on display. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. I want to begin this morning talking about motivations for giving. And as I thought back about the, the preaching I got growing up, my dad was that preacher, so I've got to be real careful what I say, but we, we, we've all heard different motivations, I think, from pulpits that, that preachers will give for giving. One of those that I remember is about duty, that it's a duty for people to give. Uh, in fact, each of these motivations I'm going to talk about, they actually have scriptural warrant to talk about them in this way. First John is the passage that I, talked about, I want to talk about when it comes to, to duty that we have an obligation to give uh, of our funds. First John chapter 3, verse 16, this is what it says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions, sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions. And in truth, this is the Christian duty to respond to the needs that we see in front of us. And I, I got to say, when it comes to this motivation, I think previous generations have done much better than ours has when it comes to this motivation. And there may be better motivations than duty, but the, the greatest generation, the boomers, have done a much better job when it comes to just kind of, you're part of this community, and this is what it means to belong, is to be a part, to, to, to contribute. And I, I want to press our generation to consider the benefits of that even more. Uh, but there's another motivation I want to talk about this morning. It's the motivation of guilt. <laughs> it, it, uh, lots of charities use guilt unashamedly <laughs> to say, this is what you ought to do. Chances are you've probably given to a cause because someone has motivated you 
through guilt at some point. And even the Apostle Paul resorted to this motivation when he talked to the Corinthian church about giving. It's kind of manipulative what he does here in, in some sense. Second Corinthians chapter 8, we read his, his words. He's very shrewd in what he says. Maybe you've seen in the book of Philemon how he uses some interesting motivation to, to, to encourage Philemon to be freed in this way. This is what it says in 2 Corinthians 8, beginning in verse uh, 1. And now, brothers and sisters, Paul writes to the Corinthian church, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, I'm not commanding you, but I want, you to, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he's rich, Yet for your sake he became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. It's kind of like a nine-verse guilt trip. (laughs) He says, you've heard about the Macedonian churches, haven't you? Oh, they are so generous. It's unbelievable. They give and they give far beyond their means. Uh, And I know about you. You excel in everything. Surely you'll excel even greater than the Macedonian churches, right? Can you imagine having this letter read? It's kind of like, You're going to step up like the the Philippians did, the Macedonian church. I'm not commanding you, but remember, Jesus gave up his life for you. So you kind of see this motivation that Paul gives. Some might see it as guilt. Another motivation that really comes up is really, this may be a, a hard characterization, but it's really selfishness that I see used sometimes when it comes to giving. That if you give, then you'll receive back tenfold, right? This idea of sowing a seed you might have heard uh, and hoping that it will be reaped in return. It's like giving as an investment strategy. Believe it or not, there are scriptures that talk about this kind of idea. I told you this was uncomfortable. I'm just kind of sharing with you. I don't know what to do with passages like this. It's Proverbs chapter 3. There's plenty I could point to. Proverbs 3 verses 8, I'm sorry, verse, uh, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. I don't know what that means for those of us who don't have barns or vats, but the idea is if you give in some way, God's going to give in return. And I got to tell you, I'm not sure what to do with this because I've seen this abused, haven't you? That if you just sow into this ministry, you can be assured that this will come in response. So, There's a part of me that wants to stay completely away from passages like this and say, yeah, that's not really the motivation we ought to have. But what do you do with with a passage like Malachi 3? It's another one of those that talks about this kind of thing, right? You've heard this passage on any sermon series on preaching, uh, on on generosity before. This is Malachi 3, verses 8 through 12. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. 
Bring, me, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. I mean, this scripture uses pretty well all three of these motivations I've talked about. A sense of duty, a sense of guilt, a sense of selfishness, that somehow God's going to pour back into our hands. And not only that, this is the only place in scripture I can recall where God actually calls on us to, on us to test him. Test me in this, he says. G- give and just sit back and watch what I do. And This makes me uncomfortable. Does it make you a bit uncomfortable? And part of me wants to protect people from disappointment at this part in the sermon, right? Yeah, test them in this, so it, but it may not be financial reward that you get. It may be a spiritual blessing. We know God gives, but it may look different. Than, that's not exactly what this says. There seems to be this commitment that I'll throw open the floodgates of heaven in a way you haven't seen before. Now, some of you have had these experiences where you have given beyond your means. And you've seen God return and take care of you in a time of need. And those build our faith, don't they? And so here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering how many of us don't expect the miraculous power of God because we've never actually put ourselves in a place where God would have to act in order for us to be salvaged and saved in a moment. Where has been that sacrificial giving where, where you're giving? Some of you have done this, haven't you? You've stepped out in faith. You've You've given them something. You didn't know how that was going to return. I can't tell you how many stories I hear from people who say that God's been faithful in the midst of that, that down to the last penny, we got this check that you wouldn't have imagined that we didn't expect in this month. And, and I hear stories like that, and my faith is emboldened by it, but I still struggle to give sacrificially to see the same thing. I'm amazed by how many people often outside of the United States tell these stories about people who show up and and give missionaries who've told stories about not having enough, and, and it seems to show up. When was the last time you were in such a bind that God would have to show up in this way? Because I know people who've tested God, and God has come through on that testing. But the majority of people who tell me about these miracles, like I said, don't live in the United States. So there's a phrase I keep seeing on bumper stickers, and I hear it quite often. The phrase is, God bless America. And every time I see that phrase, I think, well, well, God has. God has blessed America. America is around 6% of the world's population. And we consume over 40% of the world's resources. The point isn't how God can bless America. The point is how America can bless others through what God has done to bless us. And in the Bible, when God blesses someone, it's so that they won't accumulate those things and, and, and store them up. It's so they'll decumulate. They'll pass those things out and continue to pass on the blessing to others. In fact, there's a verse in the main passage I want to spend time in this morning is in 1 Timothy chapter 6, where Paul talks to Timothy about the rich. Part of me wants to say, well, that's not me. There's others I can point to that would be the rich. But, but in the midst of the world that we know today, I think this might have a word for us who live in America today. 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. 
Paul writes to young Timothy, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Now, when I read this passage, everything in me wants to say, well, that's not about me. Uh, The rich must be talking about someone else. But the truth is, I have a car. Only 8% of the population on earth have a car. 92% of the people on earth would see you driving around in your car and say, man, they're wealthy. Uh, You have access to clean drinking water. A billion people in the world today who don't have that simple gift. We go to the sink, we get a glass, expect for that water to come out. It's a gift from God. Have you, have you eaten today? You plan to later today? Because somewhere around 800 million people won't have food to eat today, 300 million of those being children. And experts say that in order to provide basic water, basic health, nutrition for everyone in the world, it would cost somewhere about $20 billion, which is a around the same amount that Americans spend on ice cream every year. We are so rich. But maybe you look around and you have this sense that you don't have that much because you see others in your area that that do. But it's a dangerous thing when we begin to think that our world is the world. What we see around us is just the norm everywhere else. Because what isn't good for us would be more than enough for the rest of the world. I don't share all this to keep guilt. Guilt's not the motivation that I want to challenge us to give from at all, but it is to know that what Paul writes in 1 Timothy 6 is written to people like us. So we read on in 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Again, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant, not to put, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. See, all that we have is a gift. The clothes that we have are a gift. The roof is, is a gift. The food that we have is a gift. The breath you just took is a gift. And there were some that, that would say, no, 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 I've, I've worked to earn everything that I have. I've bought the clothes on my back. I've done all of this for myself. But that's been said for centuries. And Scripture says something far different. It teaches a different idea about what we've earned. Deuteronomy chapter 8 is... Is one of the places where this is brought up. And God actually foretells that people would say that kind of thing. And he, he warns Israel against it. Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. It says that when you have eaten and are satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise... When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you through the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you you may say to yourself my power and my uh, and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me but remember the lord your god for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today and there's nothing wrong with wealth and possessions money is a tool that can be used for good it can be used for harm 
And God never condemns people for simply having things. Again, all of these things are gifts from God that we're to have gratitude for. It's just that God gave these to us for more than just our accumulation. He poured them into our hands in order to be a blessing to others who might need them. So Paul tells Timothy to command those who are rich not to put their hope in wealth. It's so uncertain. But to put their hope in God. And then he says this in 1 Timothy, back in that passage, uh, chapter 6, verse 18. Command them, those who are rich, to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up uh, treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul says the goal is not to accumulate. things. The goal is not to get rich. The goal is to be rich. To be rich in good deeds. To, to take the things God's given us and to pour those and be generous, willing to share because life that is truly life is found in that act. I looked up some synonyms this week for accumulate. This is part of the list. To gain, accrue, compile, hoard, pile up, rack up, swell, keep, stockpile. Not exactly words I'd like to be used about me. Accumulate sounds like a more positive sense of that, but these are the synonyms that go along with it. And that reminds me of a story that Jesus told about a a rich person. It's the story of the rich the words that Jesus gives him. It's a story Jesus chooses to tell when two brothers come to him and they're arguing over an inheritance that's been given to them. And, and one comes and says, Jesus, tell, tell, tell the brother to do this right like he should. And, and this is the story that continues. Luke 12, uh, verses 16 uh, and following. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll, I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. It's a picture of accumulation, isn't it? Accumulation, Jesus calls foolish. Because the goal in the kingdom is the opposite. The goal is not accumulation for the people of God. It's decumulation. I don't know if I made that word up or not. It's to take what's been given and it's to recklessly spend it in the ways that God points us to. Generosity is an act of decumulation. It's the disposal of things that have been accumulated. And that's the advice that Paul gives to Timothy to share with the rich. Every Christian preacher who preaches preaches to rich people is commanded to say these words to those that they speak to. The church, I'm commanding you to be generous. Be willing to share. Because the life that you desire, the abundant life, is not found in the accumulation of things. The life that is truly life is found in being generous, being open-handed. Jesus isn't any easier on us than Paul is, those of us who are rich. Matthew chapter 19. I told you there was a lot of Scripture today. Matthew chapter 19, verse 23. Listen to what Jesus warns when He talks to His disciples about these things. 
Matthew 19, verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. If that does not humble us, I don't know what will. We all want to be a part of the kingdom of God, don't we? We want to enter in. And it's easy to dismiss these words as being told to someone else, but in history tells the story, it tells the story about us being the people Jesus is talking to. I, I want to suggest these words are written exactly to us. There's a danger. There's nothing inherently wrong with having resources. But Jesus says there's something inherently dangerous in having resources. And we should heed these warnings. Because you and I are told in a thousand ways every single day that our life will be found in having more and better. And sometimes it feels like we're on a treadmill, doesn't it? Trying to accumulate enough that there's enough at the end of the month because the consumption process in our lives is so great. How do we keep up with the demands? The best question is not, what can I get? To take the way of Jesus seriously, the, the best question is, what can I give? What do I have at my disposal? What resources, what time, what, 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 what financial support do I have to give to others? Because you have been blessed. What can you give? What can you use to bless others? And one of the places I would challenge you to, to be generous at is the local church. I believe that the local church is the hope of the world. And if anything 2016 taught us, it should be that civil, civic organizations and politicians don't have our trust in these ways. That's not the way the kingdom of God is going to enter into the world. It's through the people of God, the kingdom of God, that God offers his good hope. And I have a great hope that God is still choosing to use his church to change the world. We have much to celebrate in this place over this past year in 2016. wish I could go on and on about the stories of transformation. I would love to go on and on about it. Last year we had 23 baptisms. 23 people who came to know Jesus and were baptized into his name. Each of those people mattered deeply to God and there were celebrations in heaven for each one. And I want to see more this year. We'll see more people come to know him and commit their lives to him more fully. We had 40 families that came and joined our church this year, families, households. I'm excited to see what God is drawing here. To see the ways that our children are worshiping God. If you've never gotten a chance to go down and see what happens as we're worshiping in here, the ways that they're coming to love God, it's amazing. There are 37 people in this church who committed to leading small groups or classes for the entire school year this year. That's nine months of commitment to the children that we're trying to teach the way of Jesus to. I'm, I'm in awe of that kind of commitment. And more than 100 of you gave at least a month in service in our family ministry this past year. Those are my kids that you all supported. Students are leading our children as well. There were over 20 of our students that were serving in some way to lead our children into the heart of God in worship. You see the shirts all around of people every Sunday that are serving in our children's ministry. I'm grateful for those. There are many more worship leaders in this place because of our shift in, in, in our uh, services to an instrumental service. There was a great amount of, 
preparation that had to happen so that that could happen. And there are more people now that are leading us and leading our hearts in worship, using their talents and gifts. I'm grateful for that. We have much to look forward to in 2017. And Greenville Oaks, we imagine this is a year where service and outreach and small groups will be focuses you'll hear more about. We believe we're living in a culture of great isolation. We need to counter that through being together, being united, knowing what one another's needs are, and that needs to happen in the, the connecting point groups that Keith mentioned earlier about. If you're not a part of one of those groups, this is where the conversation continues for the sermon. This is how care happens in our church. I, I know you've heard this message a lot of times, and it's easy to talk about how difficult that may be. Maybe you've had bad experiences in small groups, but I hope this year as we put that challenge forward, more of you will commit to do that. Some of you need to step up and lead some more of those groups. I can't tell you what a great blessing it is to walk beside our shepherds and shepherding partners that are, that are guiding those groups. Keith's going to have more to come about equipping this year for those connecting point group leaders. I'm excited about that. We imagine this summer a, a focus on service in a greater way. So many of you are serving on an everyday basis around here, but we need that to happen outside of the church in a more consistent way, and we long to do that more in this year. I want to tell you also, I think 2017 is a year where you'll see a shift from a focus about how we do church to how we do life in the kingdom of God. It's been important for us to remove barriers for people to come into this space and and meet Jesus, but that can't be the center of what we're about. The center of what we're about is making disciples. And that's where God's drawing my heart right now is to start more and more groups in this church with more and more mentors and coaches and disciples who will who will call out others that God will draw to you to be able to share the good news of Jesus, to walk alongside each other, to step out of isolation, because the Great Commission was a call to do just that. Go into all the world, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, and I'm going to be with you every step of the way. I want to challenge you to more generosity this year at Greenville Oaks. It is to do with this topic of of money, but it is to do also with the time that you have, with the resources that you have, with the wisdom that you have. We need more of our older saints in this church who are mentoring our younger people. I'll tell you, millennials desire that. It may not be something you would assume, but the younger generations desire people to walk alongside them. That may be hard for some of you because you may have never had a mentor yourself. And so how do you, how do you learn to walk beside a young couple that's struggling in their marriage when you didn't see anyone do that? I encourage you to pray, those of you who are more seasoned in this church, about how God might call you in the lives of specific individuals. Scan the room on Sunday mornings. Invite someone to lunch. See what God might do through that because we desperately need that. Our, our younger marriages need that. Some of us have been at this a long time and we need help to figure out what it means to follow Jesus in better and deeper ways. Please, I beg you to pray about that and see what God might draw into your life. To those who, who aren't currently giving, I want to challenge you to start this year. Start in whatever way you can. Start today. Find a way to give in ways that you, you haven't yet. To those who are giving on an inconsistent basis, I want to challenge you to, to, to give on a regular consistent basis. Figure out a way that that can work this year and make it a commitment. This is a spiritual discipline in our lives to do so. And to those who are giving regularly, I want to say thank you, first of all. Thank you for putting your treasure where you desire your heart to follow. And it's obvious that your hearts have been committed here in so many ways. Keep growing in your commitment. Maybe this is the year that some of you will commit to that 10% mark, and you'll say, this is the year that I'm going to make that commitment. I'm going to give beyond my means and see what God does in response to testing.
But I want to tell you, I, I'm, it's hard to speak about these things, but I'm not ashamed to speak about these things because I believe what God is doing through the people in this church. I see what's happening to my own kids. I see what's happening to my, my wife in this church as she thrives and is growing. And I see what happens in the lives and stories of so many. And so I'm not ashamed to speak a message like this because I believe this is the work of the kingdom of God. And it's a calling that is worthwhile to give your time and your energy and all that you have to. I want to challenge you to think about that this year. Many of you are doing this far and above and beyond. And, and so often it seems like the, the, that it's the group that's most committed that feels maybe the most duty and guilt in sermons like this. What I want to investigate, what I want to call you on an adventure to is to those who haven't yet taken those steps, what might it look like to take one more step to trust God this year? One more step to, to walk into the life of some of our youth ministry small groups to see what God might call you up in. One more step into the life of community in a small group that may just change your life and you might change others. That's what I want to see happen. And I can't wait to hear the stories of what happens as you do. I want to close with a prayer this morning. Thank you so much for your grace as you've listened this morning to the word that I believe God wants to speak. God, I prayed this morning that the truth of your word would come through. God, there are times I want to protect people from some of these verses. I want to lower their expectations. I want to talk about spiritual blessings instead of the ways that you actually do work, which are things beyond my imagination. Father, we, we do believe that we're rich. We're not ashamed about that, God. We are grateful for that. But God, we want to be, we want to be generous with what we've been given. We want to be wise with what we've been given. We, we don't want to bury the talent, God. We want to expand that so that we continue to be generous. God, I thank you for the generosity of this church. Thank you for those who've made incredible commitments. For those that commit a school year to serving our kids. To those who serve on a regular basis, filling up communion cups, and no one really knows those stories. To those who serve as connecting point group leaders. To those who serve needs in our community outside of this church that we know nothing about. To those that give of their finances to places like Compassion International and other places where kids are fed as a result of the generosity. God, you have poured into our hands for a reason. We want to be great stewards of that gift. So God, give us wisdom. Give us follow through and obedience. Give us the motivation, God, to give as cheerful givers. I thank you for the opportunity you've given to each one of us this morning, the word you've spoken into our lives, and I pray that we would be faithful with that word. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen.